This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles Positive Conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann, I'm at Otago Polytechnic today, and I am joined from Fakatane by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora. Sam, how's it going? It's going very well indeed. It is the last day of work, so it's going exceptionally well. Yes, that is a very good feeling. I had my last day in my job at REAP, my last day ever actually, yesterday, and uh, it was sad to say goodbye to all my colleagues there. But you've got a new job. Yes, I have got a new job. I start um, with Tūrunanga or Ngātiawa uh, on the uh, in about the middle of January, um, developing a framework for workforce development. So, looking at the future of workforce in the Eastern Bay Plenty, I'm so excited about that. That is so cool. And who are we introducing today? It's my great pleasure to introduce Helen Papuni and Jonathan, who are the co-heads of professional practice for the College of Work-Based Learning at Otago Polytech and they're both reasonably new to the roles uh, and it just feels like a really lovely time for change so it's so cool that you guys are doing this and that you're doing it together and welcome thanks for joining us today. Thank you. So I would normally start by asking people where they are but Jonathan's beside me and Helen's in the room next door. (laughs) So welcome. Thank you. And congratulations on the, the new roles that you're doing. It's so exciting. Yeah, it is. It's really good. As Mawera, he pointed out before, having a co-head partnership model for being leaders that we are feels the, the, the right thing to do. It feels like it really works. So we're starting off from that position, which I'm really chuffed about, personally. Yeah. So we're asking people about their bubble lives. How was your bubble life last year? Of course, bubble life has now gotten complicated and it's now turned into a traffic light. But we'll go through this anyway. How was your bubble life last year? Um, Well, you mean the first bubble experience? Well, bizarrely for me, it was absolutely business as usual, which was really strange. And I'll explain because the company I was working for at the time, the Mind Lab, where we had devised and were running a postgrad, a master's degree for on an online master's degree in contemporary education for teachers in New Zealand. And we taught and lived and worked in a distributed team online. So essentially, we felt in a bizarre way in terms of work and work life that the rest of the world was visiting our way of practicing um, being online educators. Although we did meet the students face to face, so there were some small changes because we had to stop that. So bizarrely, from a work perspective, it just felt we were already in this really weird online living and working at home space. So that was a very strange thing. So that was my first experience of, of, of it in terms of work life. And Helen? 
I came into the um, first lockdown, Sam, um, as Māori chaplain to uh, Taga University and um, Taga Polytechnic. Uh, and it was a very bizarre time. And for me, I had to learn how to do Facebook church, which I've never done before. Um, Facebook consultation with staff um, and students because uh, the chaplains here, tertiary chaplains, serve both of those. I'd never done it before. I was frantically reading um uh, I think it was uh, Facebook for Dummies uh, on, on my left hand while I'm trying to figure out um, what to do with the right hand. Um, I had to – so there were a whole bunch of new upskillings I, I had to do. And then watching as our community responded to the legalities of of things but not to the people. That was a bit bizarre, Sam, um, to be honest, that everybody went to um, assure that businesses or institutions were okay, but somewhere in there we forgot about the people side. So that was um, a big learning curve for me, yeah. Mm. As Maori chaplain, you're responsible for, I suppose, for the entire student population. Yeah, it's a relatively big one, not just for the students, eh, but for their whānau as well. Um, and when lockdown was announced, they had 20, 48 hours to leave the university from wherever they happened to be to get home. Um, most of them had drunk most of their money the week before, um, so there were lots of um, requests for assistance for um, technology, because a fair amount of our students don't actually have a good technology back home. Um, they come from remote areas. Um, and they also, some of them were in their cars, uh, having to take their lessons on cars as they tried to get home. Some ran, ran out of petrol. It was um, it was a, a really bizarre time. Mm. And we got through that and most of last year. Did it return to a business as usual for you, Helen? No. Uh, we, there's, there was no uh, – the world we knew one week, two weeks, three weeks, four months earlier, that world's gone. And it's the loss of that world that impacts the most on our tauira Māori and their whānau, uh, the unsure – the um, – they're just not – there's no um, surety about what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, that's made already fragile communities, already fragile tawira, more fragile. So, hmm. Is, is that going to have sort of long-term repercussions, and, and what can we do about it? Yes, so we talked about – last year we, we stood up a new name, which was called um, – when they started talking about long COVID, then we realised that as a um, service entity, we needed to start looking at long chaplaincy and what that would look like. So we already had a 24-hour response like most um, critical services. But one of the things we had to do was actually be honest about what that meant for us as providers. So... Um, 
in 2020, if I were asked to respond to something, I, I knew how to respond before COVID um, uh, came. But now when I'm faced with an issue, I have to think about my own first, my own uh, ability, capability, my own um, ability to respond positively positively to every situation now. Uh, we just watch too many chaplains, too many frontline workers going down too quickly because you can only give out so much of yourself um, and the need is only going to be growing. So now we're doing, we're trying to work smarter through that, Sam. It's not all dim and darkness, by the way, because we're growing, we're growing new skills. Um, and I think we're going to be better humans. We might be... Um, really good chaplains when when this is over if it if, i don't think it's ever going to be over but we will definitely be better chaplains but better than that we're going to be better humans and that's always worth fighting for jonathan were you a better human for the rest of last year that's a good question <clears throat> um on what ways would i think of myself as a better human um yeah i think I have two teenage daughters, so home life was certainly quite... It was different, you know, with everyone locked up. We responded to it, I think, as best we could. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, my, my background in terms of some of my research areas always on the non-human anyway, and how the non-human elements of, of life become in, integrated in education. So for me, whilst COVID was a, an incredibly powerful and, and harmful invasion into our sort of life it reminded me of how the non our our, inex, our constant intertwinement with the non-human world and it made me almost think the implications of it are we're always implicated into the care and the health of the planet and our actions so an environmental perspective it reminded me that as humans we can't choose to be connected or not to nature we are always connected to nature so it was whilst that's perhaps a slightly sort of practical and removed perspective it that's what it reminded me of to be honest with you let's take the first of your music choices you get one each so let's go with proclaimers yeah sunshine on leaf why this one well the proclaimers i grew up in edinburgh obviously in scotland you can maybe tell by my rather accent my strong accent but the proclaimers leith was always a part of the city i never grew up in leith but it was always very much um has its own kind of culture people from leith are very staunch leith people it's a very working class part of the city um and when proclaimers came out as a scot sometimes you kind of get um a, you get a attached to the, the the way that some Scottish culture surfaces in the world and the Proclaimers are one of those bands that got a bit of acclaim and the Sunshine on Leith song I liked it because it's quite uplifting and it, it's yeah it, it talks about Leith as a place and the God God's shining light on the Leith in a very sort of working class kind of way I suppose and I like that yeah Yeah. 
Um, I have a question for both of you that um, they were, we've asked a lot of people um, over the 300 and something, nearly 400 interviews we've done, and that is with all the complex things that are happening, happening in the lives of our learners right now, if there was one thing you could change that would make their lives easier and better, what would that thing be? Gosh, that's a beautiful question, isn't it? You got something up your sleeve there, um, Jonathan? Yeah, I I would like to give people some courage to do two things, perhaps. Some courage just to test their ideas out on the page. Get the writing, get some writing down that they've been struggling with. doesn't matter how bad or how good it looks because I've not been a natural writer in the world of academia myself and I find I work things out as I write them down an obvious thing to say but that would be the first thing and the second thing would encourage them to be critical of everything they think and everything they read because it's through that critical I don't know if you know Bell Hooks the famous education North American educationist died today and I think in homage to her we've got to be critical of everything just to build ourselves up in that way yeah how do we get through to people, though, that critical doesn't mean negative? Well, absolutely. That's, um, that is the ultimate kind of point, isn't it, really? Well, I guess to, a quick short answer would be encouraged for me to strive to, be, to model what I think could be good critical practice for all my learners. I think the modelling of it in all of the obvious and less obvious actions, the explicit and the implicit, could be a way forward. And to see the growth that comes from criticality. Helen? Yeah, well, for me, I would um, go back to uh, that much overused um, whakatauki, he waka eke noa. You know, in a waka, um, Sam, there's no such role as student and teacher, eh? Um, there is just you, your humanity, and your gift of being in the waka. And that's something I would, and I do, encourage. Um, both Tawira and um, and their facilitators and mentors to remember that Hewaka Ekenoa, we're in this together and we can learn from each other. Yeah. The theme of this show is positive but not deluded. <laughs> what does that positive mindset, and perhaps the deluded bit is the criticality, Jonathan, mm. what does that positive mindset mean to you? Oh, for me, it's everything, I think. Um, and it's very hard to maintain it. But I think I've always sought to try and find a bit of fun in life um, in all things I do. It gives me a sense of pleasure, but also it sustains me as a human with other humans. So maybe it's an internal positive thing. Um, and I think, too, it's linked to hope, isn't it? I think hope is, and looking to the future, are probably the most important conditions, I think, we have to have an education because it's very easy to stop and look at where we are sometimes and think gosh we've got so much to do or if I look at formal education it makes my heart heavy just how much children are forced into certain uh, abstract ways of thinking and disconnection from the real and the natural world so hope I think yeah I don't know if I've answered the question well but I think hope and positivity if you can find a way of channeling it from yourself and to share it that, that that's it's powerful and important. Yeah, I'm a little bit different there, um, Jonathan. 
Um, Mawira, you probably know this from home, but it's the gift of the moment that I'm into and that just to remind um, people that every moment that they're in it with me uh, is a gift for me. I, um, I'm not very much on this positivity stuff, but I am um, into giving thanks for people um, that uh, in our life, whether we know them well or just met them two seconds ago. It's, um, it's the gift of the moment that I, I, I'm really excited about, Sam. Yeah. What are you excited about today, Helen? Um, I'm excited that people here are finally going to be able to rest after what's been a huge time of change and challenge. Um, and that, and my hope is that they have a quality rest too, um, because this, you know, we're we're going to be equally challenged going forward. Um, but that's tomorrow's um, or the next moment's worry. Um, uh, that's that's what I'm excited about today. That finally people can see they're going to rest. What about you, Jonathan? What are you excited about? I would say something very similar to that. Um, that people are getting a chance to take a break, which is great, and that I think so now, I think next year is full of great opportunity for us as well. I'm really hope, positive about that. So, yeah, that excites me today, even though it's going to happen next year. Can I share something with you guys, Maweda? Of course. Thank you. I have to confess, I ate my first ever Christmas cake two days ago. And it wasn't a traditional Christmas cake, and it was delicious. Oh, the culture that created that um, particular gift, they they really need to take a bow. The um, dark ones I'm not so good at, but, but that – and I'm looking forward to having more of that, Sam. You need to come to my house, Helen, and I'll make you Christmas cake. Yeah, I'm not too sure whether that that's because um, uh, we are Presbyterians that don't drink, um, and Christmas cake has always smelled a bit boozy to us. Um, but we ate this one before we smelt it, and it was too late by then. It was great. Been missing out on all of this all my life. Hmm. Segwaying from that rest that we're about to have, some people have referred to the the lockdowns as a rest or a rahui or, or, or variations on that kind of theme. In in terms of that opportunity to 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 stop and think, did it lead you to to be thinking about? How we can, you know, what's that phrase they're using? Build back better, regenerate. What what what, what was it? An opportunity for you? Um, the I was probably a bit of intrigued by the way that kind of capitalism ruled it for me. It felt like capitalism. I mean, that's just an obvious thing to say, isn't it? Because we live in a capitalist society, and that's just where nature, the world is. But it, it made me. So I so to answer your question directly, I enjoyed watching some commentators, some online and other places, referring back to that this could be a chance for us to try and do something a bit different. And I think you know maybe we can't really compete with capitalism. I don't think it's too big a machine. But in education terms, 
what enthused me was watching teachers being thrust into the online learning space. Te- you know, there's a the national the curriculum in New Zealand changed in 2020, as you know. There's now a, a mandated requirement for all formal education to involve some digital technology um, work in, in technology learning areas. So I've been working on that space with teachers and just their acceptance that this was going to be a reality and their willingness to try and do something different and to hear how they responded to different communities of learners who had low access to technology and had other serious home problems as well. It just made me think there's something changing here and it's um, it's freeing up this kind of very traditional single-cell classroom experience of education, which I know is on a journey in New Zealand towards the modern learning environment. But it, that, that's a journey I think has been started it's an, and it's an, it's an informal one. It's come through the relative COVID. And I think things like this that you're doing now, these kind of interactions with people through technology, people are thinking differently about how to do that. That's, I think, one of the things I've noticed. Helen? Yeah, you know what's changed for me, Sam, has been how we now do Māori and how we be Māori and what a huge relief it is for us to be able to be safe through technology how we hated it at the beginning, watching our tribal leaders stand up online and farewell another tribal leader. It helped bring us all together. None of us would have been able to make it to that tangi. We've saved heaps of money by not having to go to tangi. Um, It hasn't taken any of the rawness of loss. If anything, we now broadcast overseas, our tangi overseas now, um, in a way that, that has just meant the whole of Māori Dim are able to be there together at once. Um, so, yeah, we lost some things, but we've also gained a whole new way of being Māori, and I, I don't want to go back to how we were before. I really am sad that the Maraya closed. Um, that's a whole part of our identity that we'll never get back. We got told Ngāti Poro got sent le- lovely letters from our chief to say, um, please don't come home this Christmas. Um, we love you, but please don't come home. And that was really hard for us to take um, because it was only sent to those of us who live outside of the Rohe, outside of the area. But to be honest, to come from Auckland, you've got to go through five other iwi. Coming up from the south, you've got to go through six other iwi. We don't want to be those people. We really don't. That um, inadvertently spreads now Omicron into our vulnerable. I can't wait for um, our under fives, uh, no, under under 12-year-olds to be vaccinated. Um, But I think technology has brought us into a different era of being Māori. And um, for that, I'm grateful. Mm. Earlier this week, we talked with um, Hinuana Baker, who is in Berlin, writing a PhD. It's, it was going to be about the adoption of the haka around the world, but it's turned into a PhD, which is more of a personal reflection. It much more aligns with a professional practice kind of deal about the, the what it's done to her identity as a Maori, as a New Zealander, unable to get home. And she's got this, like, I'm very pleased that the, the, the door is closed because it's worked. 
but we need to recognise mm-hmm. that it's had this impact for those of us that can't get home. And I hadn't actually occurred to me until you just said it there, Helen, that there's also an impact internally for people that can't get home. Yeah. 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 Ma, Weta, what about you? You were, you were perhaps the most fortunate of us all. You were able to be home and hold the um, ahika there, the, the home fires burning. It's been difficult um, not being able to come home to to Otaka, uh, to back down to be with my whānau down in the South Island. Mm. Um, I couldn't come down. My, we're still holding my dad's ashes, waiting to take him home um, oh. because because I don't want to come home and be the person who brings COVID to the South Island. I don't want to be the person who brings it out to the marae. And um, we we were supposed to be having our graduation today. And, uh, and that was postponed and today so today we was I was supposed to come home and we we're supposed to bring my dad home and and still my dad's waiting to come home so it's um it's been really it's been hard it's been amazing to be able to stay at home here in Fakatani in my home with my kids and and um, and do a lot of my work from here but I, I want to come home to Dunedin I want to go out to the Marae. I want to go and sit with my sister who's buried in our Urupa. Oh, oh, Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nga mirahanoe kia koutou, ko tahou. You've always had the best day, beautiful superstar, and beloved and I really hope wherever you are and what is happening around this journey on just proving very raw, very sustaining, and illuminating you more and each day. Travel nature's art, making things. Now I know that for all of us, the last nearly two years now, have been very traumatic, hard, and all over the world, we've had to see members of our human race experience great turmoil and for all of us this has changed i feel how we understand us we can view this global pandemic as a great leveler that it connects all and in many ways this is a powerful and positive role that this time can serve i know that for all of us different aspects of have changed and for me there have been so many ups and downs in terms of my work times I have been in lockdown I haven't been able to be teaching at times I have been able to teach but in a very different way over zoom or only with very small groups and now when we are teaching of course we have to change our approach and ask for the adults in the group to be much more engaged and maintain distance and space between the students Having experienced distancing from nature as a young child, leaving Aotearoa, New Zealand at seven for LA, then Scotland, then England, I understand the sense of dislocation and the grief that comes with that, but also the deep appreciation for that intimacy and that connection with the living world that is the other side of that grieving coin. Having successfully returned here, oh, phew, <laughs> at 17 and begun my journey with environmental education thanks to all of my years of finding solace in the performing art first at the aquarium and then for the last 12 years at Orokono at your sanctuary I'm so grateful really to feel that that connection with the living world is something I can confidently share from personal experience 
and for us here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, of course, it imbues so much of our, our culture, our language, our learning, our sense of meaning with a reality that is unique to us. Looking out every day upon our dramatic and charismatic landscape, we can tell and retell the stories, the tūpuna who were the ancestors and the knowledge that the, the learning that is contained within the land, whether it is from enshrining in Pakewaitra and story and song, through farming, understanding the changes, dynamic and various throughout the motu, understand that we all have to share. Having attended a wonderful opening of Hekorokoro Tui Performing Arts Centre at the University of Otago last night with Upoko Rakatera, David Allison from Karatani, my dear friend who's now 84. We were able to watch many performances of Removing and see a beautiful new building just dedicated to native birds. Of course, it had me thinking about all the contributions that we're all making, how we're all doing our best at all time, and how amidst a very tumultuous and difficult time, the living world was there for us. So I really hope you are able to find solace this time in our unique living landscape, and I look forward to talking again soon. Thanks. Kakite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Helen Papuni and Jonathan Lynch. Jonathan and Helen, we've seen lots of changes in society over the last couple of years. What do you think is going to stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? What I hope will stick? That's a really good question. Because I don't know if all the things that I've seen that have changed have been good. I tell you one thing that I hope that will that will stick are people walking and exercising in their local communities because that's I, I enjoy doing a lot of exercise myself and, and with our family, and that was something that I loved in lockdown was being able to ride my bike on quiet roads. It was absolutely mm-hmm. such a treat. I spent a lot of my life getting close passes by some drivers, which happens everywhere in the world. But yeah, I think. People continuing to get out and exercise in the local areas, be more active, take other forms of transport. Yeah, hope that sticks. For me, I hope what sticks is to make sure that there are no strangers where you are. Even if you're on a bus, meet somebody new. Um, Always reach out to frontline workers and treasure them. Hopefully that will stick. Hopefully they'll get a pay rise soon, Sam. Yeah. Do you think that there are any lessons from the pandemic and how we've responded to the pandemic for the sorts of problems that we face as a society, as a global community, that we can't fix by working at home for a few weeks? I'm thinking of things like climate change, systemic racism, biodiversity collapse, you know, those... Those, those those big things are things that do threaten the hope and stuff that we were talking about before. I, I want to talk about um, the reality that we are not as neuro-agile uh, as we may once have been. Stress has a limiting effect on our um, brain's capability to cope in further stressful situations. The body does need downtime. And I think um, that we need to learn to be kinder to ourselves first. We have to be kinder to ourselves to be kinder to anybody else. So um, hopefully we will 
when we come out of this, we will have strategies of looking at things like mental well-being, wairuatanga and whakawhanaungatanga in a more healing way than we currently do, as as opposed to just being a tick box on somebody's cultural capability um, framework, um, but to actually live into those to improve our um, relationships with each other as humans. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think that going back to climate change in particular, you know, if you look at the last 50 years, we've totally failed. Educationally, we've totally failed in terms of climate change because CO2 emissions are continuing to rise. So we haven't addressed that at all in any of the educational endeavours so far, if you look at the global perspective. So I'm certainly one of those people who buys into sort of a growing discourse around the world that we are, the COVID's a good example of the non-human world that we are inextricably interconnected with. We can't decide to be or not be disconnected to nature. So I would hope, the, and it's a change of perspective for me, I think, um, because if you think of nature as separate from human existence, then you can decide how and when you're going to take care of it. But the planet is responding to our needs and we respond to its needs. So my hope is that it's, it's the starting point, perhaps, of a change of perspective on how we come into relations with the non-human world and how we're always forever interconnected with it. So for me, it's an example of just how we can never, we can't choose to not be part of nature. So we need to look after it. We're moving more and more to the, the VUCA world, the volatile uncertain, complex, ambiguous, that our systems have been developed in not that world over the last 50 or so years. How are we preparing people or are we prepared people for that living in that more complicated and and, and disruptive world? Well, climate change is a really good example for me here. You know, so the climate change strikes was a really good example. The, The way the different way the educational, the, the mainstream school responded to the student climate change strikes was for me an example of how we're not quite ready to really allow the young people whose lives are going to be most affected by the future to take an active role in deciding what's okay, how their learning should be able to shape society and culture. So I would like to see more agency in students and in young children and their how they can act in the world. I think that's really important. I don't think we give them enough enough space for that. That, for me, is an important... Because they're going to inherit this complex world and have to be powerful in it, and their actions are going to have to be directed towards social change and dealing with climate change, etc. So we should trust them in some ways to do it now rather than penalise them for taking a climate strike. So for me, it's there's still quite a tension there of what we're seeing. Helen? For me, it's absolutely insane how the upper 2% of wealth in this country doubled, tripled their income over this pandemic. How is that even possible? We are so broken that we don't even address that. While our homeless are still looking for food and are vulnerable to the pandemic. What is the matter with us, Sam? 
something has got to be drastically done with our financial system to equal, to make any change. We as humans, I really do believe, we as humans will not evolve if we do not sort that rubbish out first. This is ridiculous. I agree. Let's take the second of your music choices because we're running fast running out of time. Let's have Anika Moa, Perea Ane. Why this one? Um, the it, it is about being cleansed by the wind, being washed by the rain, and always having hope the sun will always come up, uh, and to remember that every moment of your life. Mm. to end the show and there's two people to get through and not very much time so we're going to have to rattle and somehow share them around or something what is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years biggest success the next time you've got some good questions here eh? um <laughs> two successes i reckon um uh, just having a thriving relationships with my teenage daughters that's something that has taken a lot of work over the years and that's that's important to me that's working um, and being able to understand or find a voice perhaps around some of my ideas to, to do with education and trying to make, and yet that's a shorthand way of saying watching some of the learners I've interacted with thrive as well that's been really life affirming my um, biggest success was becoming a, a grandmother for the third time um, and being there while, well, this is going to sound really rude, but karanging him out 
from a distance. So in Alfano, we would do karanga to um, bring the baby out. And that I did from Dunedin while he was emerging in Auckland. Uh, we've seen him maybe three times in his two years of life, but we will be seeing him in eight days again. So I can't wait. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are both in that team. What's your superpower? What's got you into the mansion? Yes. <laughs> superpower. Oh, my goodness. Again, what a killer question. I think um, my superpower... Helen, go first. I need to think about this one. I will. I've got a really neat superpower. I have the ability when I meet people to see the real them, but it's only very fleeting, and that's where the gift to humanity lies. And I think that people forget that they're here on earth because they have unique gifts, and I have the superpower to be able to remind them of that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. My superpower is one I've developed over the years, and I share it with children in a voluntary way. Often, is I can light fires by rubbing sticks together, and I've got a, and I've got Maori skills and non-Maori skills to do it. Um, and it's one of the most satisfying practical skills I've ever developed in my life. Being able to light fires just from friction—it's very, very rewarding. And loving, I love seeing children's faces light up when you appear with these two lumps of wood and you start rubbing them together and look at you to say you're mad and then before you know it there's smoke and then there's a glowing flamber then there's a flame and they just have that joy in their faces it's just incredible adults and children i think we can describe both of you as lighting fires do you consider yourselves to be activists yes I'm a quiet armchair activist. In my research, I'm really passionate about environmental change and climate change in education and getting us to think differently. It's not a particularly banner-waving, pushing back the, the, the police line activism, but it's, um, I do find I need to try and work in that space somehow. I'm a Māori in a colonised world, so that'll be a yes from me, Sam. Where I hasn't got that T-shirt on today. What? What motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, working in education has always done that for me. I think helping learners, helping people succeed in their journeys, educational journeys in life, has always motivated me. Um, and I know from experience, it's an incredibly difficult journey to take. So helping people do that gets me out of bed. Sam, I'm one of those weirdos that learns from failure. And so I'm not always looking for failure, but I'm always looking to how I could do something better um, and to make the little energy that I might have that day go a lot further. Yeah, that gets me out of bed in the morning. So what challenge or opportunity are you looking forward to in the next year or two? The challenge I'm looking forward to an opportunity is working with this, working with the people here in the College of Workplace Learning to make the, the work that they do easier and more effective or helping them on that journey. Just I, I, I can't articulate it. With it. 
it's sounding like I know how to fix anything because I don't think anything's particularly broken, but it's just about supporting people to thrive and for their, their work to thrive. That's what I'm looking forward to because I can see it already in the short time I've been here. Then the hard work that's going on is incredible and there's changes that are starting to happen that make people find, I believe, to do it better. So that's great. Yeah. I'm looking forward to um, getting people to appreciate their gifts here in the program. I think that we give so much outwards that we don't, we're not very good at taking positive feedback. We're not very good at um, celebrating ourselves. Um, yeah, I, I, that's what I'm, I want to um, be a champ, champion of going forward, Sam, is to get people to um, rem, rem, remember that they are gifts to the world. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Um, any advice? Helen? Yeah, so this is Christmas. Uh, my advice would be don't eat too much, um, don't drink too much, and um, but rest more than you even th thought you need. Just stay in your pyjamas for five days. That's my <laughs> advice. <laughs> my advice might be slightly different. It would be to tell people to go, just go into to nature for some time, just for restorative purposes. Yeah. Thank you for that. Mawira. Jonathan, you were talking about Bell Hooks before, and um, I, I love her work. And uh, I think, actually, uh, Martin, who is a colleague of all of ours, um, was the one who introduced me to Belle's work. And she said, love is an action, never simply feeling. And I see that in you guys. I see the action of love in your practice and the way that you hold our learners and you hold them with with their dignity, with their mana, with um, with their futures in mind, but, but keeping them present in this moment, in this very precious moment, because ultimately that's all we have. And um, I've really enjoyed getting to know a little bit about you just from this corridor today. But I just want to thank you for the commitment that you've made to making life better for, for all of our learners um, and, the, and how that will then flow on into the world around us. So thank you. Wishing you and your whanau a very Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, um, and may you all be surrounded by love and joy and keep safe. Thank Kia ora. you, Mawera. Thank you. Kia ora, Mawera. Bringing up the lights and finding a Christmas tree. The third thing at Christmas that's such a pain to me. Hangovers, rigging up the lights and finding a Christmas tree. The fourth thing at Christmas that's such a pain to me. Sending Christmas cards, hangovers, rigging up the lights and finding a Christmas tree. Christmas cards, hangovers, rigging up the lights, and finding a Christmas tree. The sixth thing at Christmas that's such a pain to me, facing my 
bringing up these lights and finding a Christmas tree. The seventh thing at Christmas that's such a pain to me. Still vision on me, facing my inwards. Five months of bills, vending Christmas cards. Oh, jeez, I'm trying to rig up these lights and finding a Christmas tree. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tybu McKinsey. This is Bob Rivers, The Twelve Pains of Christmas. I'm Tim Manners, Otago Polytechnic in Dunedin, and I've been joined by Mura Karatai in Vakatani. And in the room beside me, and sitting beside me, is Jonathan Lynch and Helen Patrini. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. Who's got the chair that paper? Turn a flashlight on your fuse! Finding a Christmas tree. The 12th thing at Christmas that's such a pain to me. Singing Christmas carols. Still TV special. Batteries not included. No parking. Yeah. Yeah. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.